0: Hi, I'm Maeve Doyle, and you're listening to Private View Podcast. My guest is Kenny Schachter. He's in town for NFTism, No Fear and Trying, a show he's curated at the stables in Covent Garden with almost a hundred artists. Some new to NFTs, some who've been doing it for a long time. Kenny's talking to me about NFTs, decentralizing power, new media his idealistically cynical point of view on art and creativity the lost leonardo and anything else that came into our conversation about art the art world artists auction houses curators collectors and a world in which we both share an intense interest on i hope you enjoy listening I'm at 40 Earlham Street in Covent Garden at a place called The Stables, and I'm with Kenny Schachter. We spoke the other day uh, about the show. Now the show's here, open, and I'm on site with Kenny who's gonna tell me about this groundbreaking NFT show that exists in a physical space, but also in a digital space. And the 100 artists.
1: Close to 100.
0: Close to 100, I'm not a great counter. Some have been minted for the first time, which is a very curious term I want to talk about later. And others who've been doing it for a while. I just saw a picture of the Kennedys and Elvis. So there's a lot going on here. Kenny, you curated the show. You're a collector, you're an artist yourself. You've been talking about the art world for decades now. So you have an overview of how things fit historically. The piece I noticed, firstly, that builds on, let's say, Kusama and Warhol is your piece. It's the wallpaper behind the screens of the NFTs, which sort of originated in pop art. Um, those are my observations so far. I think I'm going to hand the mic over to you and tell me how this happens.
1: Well, <laughs> this is a physical exhibition. There's a new phrase that's been coined in relationship to physical exhibitions of digital art, and that's a merging of the two words, which is fidgetal, and kind of stupid, but kind of um, productive in relationship to understanding what's happening, and mainly one of the criticisms that is frequently um, bandied around in relationship to digital art is that you can only see it on your telephone or your laptop or a video monitor. And I think that's a fallacy. I just saw the David Hockney show at the Royal Academy, which are uh, beautiful landscape images that were created initially on David Hockney's laptop. David Hockney, which is strange, because I think he must be, if he's not 90 or above, he's kissing 90. And strangely enough, because he's been such an innovative artist for 60 years or more, is the fact that he has just roundly dismissed NFTs and crypto saying that it's a bunch of um, criminals, which could possibly be true, but you'll find the same amount of bad behavior in the traditional art world, including a lot of dealers, I'm sure, that have worked with David Hockney over the years. But the issue is this, if I was going to buy a David Hockney iPad drawing, I could buy a photographic print from his gallery for a couple hundred grand in a given size and format, or you could buy an NFT if he was open minded more or prone to such a thing, in which case you would buy the file, the the computer file from which he created the work with a high resolution, and then it would be up to me how I outputted that image. And for one, I would much prefer to have the file than some, you know, some file that was created by a gallery in a certain size or format. So this show, what I think is interesting, when you go to a gallery show or a museum show, whether it's paintings, sculptures, installations, film, doesn't matter, but largely a lot of the work will have started on a computer. Even paintings or sculptures. I mean, I make paintings. I can't paint a line, but I can send a file to, to... China and get a painting made for 99p and the fact is really I'm interested in content and ideas and for me art originates from philosophical thoughts, social, political, economic, technological, so for me technology is very much a part of the fabric of our society and so we have, well I can start with the, the wallpaper. Shall
0: we walk over to the wallpaper?
1: Well, anyway, the fact is, like, there's a whole host of different varieties of art in this show. The, my,
0: the wallpaper, please. Well, the
1: wallpaper. Initially, I started to do architectural installations with my writing. So, when you write an article, these days it appears online, and within a matter of hours, it gets buried further and further down uh, the website where so much time is spent writing and formulating images and then they largely get swallowed up and disappear. So a few years ago, I made an installation where I covered the floors, the walls, and the ceilings with writings that I've done. So in a way, it's a kind of, it's a way to approach text in a non-narrative, non-linear fashion where you're literally walking through words and text And you could zone in and out in a way without a beginning or an end. And now I'm working in digitizing texts in the metaverse, which is a kind of digital metaphysical universe, where you can walk through a room of words in a way and just see them as an aesthetic experience, but also read them in a way which is unlike an article or a book, in as much as there's no middle end or beginning you just randomly zone in and out and the wallpaper in this exhibition is actually comprised of imagery so i don't want to bore you with nft talk but one of the the pioneering nfts that were issued back in the end of 2017 which in nft time is a million years ago literally one year of tech time is seven years of real life like dog years so the CryptoPunks were released, they were given away because nobody wanted them, they were given away for free and probably in two and a half years over a billion dollars of CryptoPunks have traded hands and again like the, the money situation is irrelevant to me, I have no interest and I could care less but since you always, whenever anything succeeds or does well There's going to be a lot of aping going on, a lot of copying. So since the punks came out, there's been bored ape yacht clubs, which are 10,000 apes. There's been 10,000 penguins, dogs, chipmunks, unicorns. There's a lot of copying going on, and people use these images for vehicles, for self-expression. They use them as avatars to represent their people's social. If you own a punk or a bored ape, you're going many people use it as their avatar for their Instagram or Twitter. So, well, what I did was I took all of these stupid—they're called profile picture NFTs, PFPs, and I put all of these— 10 the series of 10,000 and put them into a blender and came up with mutts this kind of bastardization of this imagery and i'm releasing a series myself if you can't beat them you join them i'm going to release a series of 10,000 mutts and more importantly than just a, another meaningless nft they're going to be this kind of token of membership into an arts club a very cheap barrier of entry relatively speaking it'll be around sixty dollars to get a mutt and the mutt will entitle you to a lot more than that sixty dollars hopefully which will be access to all of my writing before it comes out because Artnet where I typically write for recently erected a paywall so you have to pay thirty dollars a month to read my writing which for me just kind of destroys the whole meaning of accessibility, which is so important to me because I'm more interested in making less money writing and having a bigger audience than the opposite. So anyway, if you own a MUD or any NFTs I make, you will get access to my writing, you'll get access to uh, various content, subsequent NFTs will be dropped into your wallet for free, and I'm not advertising anything right now. Uh, Maeve asked me to <laughs> answer this question. Mm-hmm. So uh, really, I just want to add more and more look the nft world is comprised of digital natives crypto people generally from from the the finance world and uh, decentralized world of finance i'm very much interested in the word decentralized in all of its glory and the breadth of its meaning because i just love breaking down barriers and creating uh, worlds where people are inspired to participate in like in the fine art world if anyone said to me how do i get a foothold into the art world how do i get represented by a gallery i would say don't don't even bother try to i mean this do-it-yourself mentality i've employed in my own career for 33 plus years and i'm have worked with museums with galleries i'm a professor in at the university of zurich school of visual arts and nyu i the first art class i ever took in my life I was teaching so I take great pride in the fact that I'm self-taught and self-wrought and I think that we should be we should live in a world of freedom and and freedom of expression lack of prejudice and in a way we're still stuck with a lot of the hindrances that have existed societally for hundreds of years and it's pathetic it's really human nature fears what it doesn't know and what's uncomfortable uh, NFTs have raised the hackles of the fine art world, mainly because the galleries are scared of giving up control in this zero-sum economic game, uh, game where one person succeeds at the expense of another. Strangely, it's been the auction houses that have taken the initiative because they have nothing to prove other than to make money. So I mean, again, I'm not interested in that aspect. But in this show, we have the work by one artist, Eva Barrison who was a painter and I came across her work on Instagram like many of the artists, many of the artists that I've curated into the show I've never met. Some of them I just met since I've been in London over the past couple of days. Some of them I'll meet again this evening when there's an opening. And some of them I'll meet in the years to come. Some of them I'll never meet, but that's not important. So Eva Bereson was an artist whose work I immediately had a visceral response to. And I wrote her a letter. Who are you? What are you? Are you old? Are you young? Do you have children? Are you... Who are you? What are you? And then we ended up forging one of the closest relationships that I've ever had in the art world. It's been two years we've been working together and I only first met her a few months ago when we did an exhibition together in Vienna and I was able to travel. And since then, both of our lives have been turned upside down and her work has just vastly expanded and I've created, like again, I, get, I love to create, facilitate opportunities for people. So Eva was, is Hungarian living in Vienna. When I met her, she was 64 years old she had been working with a small gallery in Vienna but had next to zero international exposure for her art and immediately I just cottoned on to her work and since then I staged an online exhibition for her during the initial lockdown and as a result of her art being seen to being being exposed to a wider audience she since had a sellout show in Los Angeles got picked up by a gallery in Los Angeles She'll be in a show in Athens in November and has exhibited in New York, will be in an exi- exhibition in Florence. Needless to say, like I helped, I'm not an art dealer by trade necessarily, but I have helped her completely expand her practice. She sold literally dozens of paintings to the most extraordinary people, ended up in a museum, and uh, her whole life has been transformed due to our relationship. And she has animated, she's someone who's embraced technology like many of the people in the show for, for a long period of time. And then her contribution was to animate some of, she made a series of iPad animations. Sometimes the work stem from paintings, sometimes they become paintings, sometimes they exist as separate bodies of work but it's just been an extraordinary pleasure, the ride we've taken together, and for me to see the expansion of her audience has been nothing short of profound, and it's very exciting for me. There's another work in the show by my son Adrian, and I'd be remiss not to mention his work, and in a way, it's a different story, but there's a lot of similarities. He trained as a painter, he's 25 years old, and technology, and largely the internet forms the kind of primary impetus and inspiration for the content of his very traditionally crafted paintings and drawings and ceramics so in the case of his work for this show he created a drawing with a pencil on paper one of the most ancient forms i love drawings to this day because the immediacy of the hand to the paper connected to the brain and i mean it started on a cave and since it's come off the walls of the cave, it's been coveted by audiences and artists artists alike. So Adrian made a drawing of this creature, and then he actually made a ceramic sculpture, which is in the show. But he combined two very disparate fields of information and knowledge and expression. So he's very interested in spirituality and what existence, means, and all of these grandiose issues, but he found, so he created the character and then he made a video. So he animated the character so it becomes a very futuristic kind of monster figure. And he's walking around a lake and he's questioning this, this um, character that he created, but the dialogue of the character is derived from one of the most complex, sophisticated artificial intelligence software that exists today so he got access to this beta program of this artificial intelligence uh, software and he posed questions to this creature questions about the afterlife past life regression spirituality and just very fundamental questions about the meaning of life which he's he's addressing to this computer program so in a way it's like it's such a beautiful sensitive Piece of work, it touches me so much, not just because it's my child, but for someone who would have, I mean, I pushed him to go into this space of of computer art, but he took it and ran with it and made something way beyond this. I mean, I'm almost jealous of how good it is, <laughs> even though he's my child, but it's such a cool piece because it just encapsulates the past, the future, the present... And really, the, pa- the past lives, <laughs> lives lived moons ago. So I don't necessarily believe in a lot of the things he's talking about, to his creature, to this artificial... I mean, artificial intelligence is the cutting edge of technology, which is going to define our lives for centuries to come. But I think it's a misconception to call it artificial intelligence, because it's humans that feed the knowledge and the information into the software. So it's really, there's nothing artificial about it. It's very humanistic, in a sense. There's another artist who's from Sweden. His name is Jonas Lund and uh he has always employed technology in his work and he's made comments about the art market about the art world in his work a lot of uh this as art has become more and more monetized over the years um there's been a lot of criticism about art becoming just A currency in and of itself where people buy and sell it without even taking the time to appreciate it look at it or even live with it people just stuff the art into storage never take it out of the crate and put it back on the market and uh, Jonas Lund made this really fascinating piece where he made a series of what looked like generic abstractions but they were actually rendered on a computer but more interestingly he attached a GPS uh, Computer device on the back of the painting. So, ostensibly, you would be able to track the painting as it flows from owner to owner to owner, which I think is really fascinating. So, for this show, what he did, which is really cool, like he made an NFT, and the NF- part of the NFT stipulated that you have to give X amount of money to charity for the rest of the time you own the artwork. And it's built into the smart contract that you have to donate uh, yearly. Profits of his particular artwork to a charitable cause. And even more interestingly, in relationship to this practice by this artist, is the fact that he tokenized his whole artistic practice and created what's called a DAO. Not like the DAO industrials, but something that will end up replacing the DAO industrials. A DAO is a -A DAO, a Decentralized Autonomous Organization. So this is really just a new structure for human commercial interaction or interaction that isn't inherently uh, for profit or capitalistic. So in this sense his his whole artistic practice has been uh, tokenized, he can buy tokens in his career and then you are by by nature of that fact you're in this decentralized organization where you get to participate in what the art, what his subsequent art will physically look like, and you can also participate in profits of his of his artistic practice in the future.
0: I'm here with Kenny and looking at the show and agreeing with a lot of what he said, except this one thing that I would question him on, and that is being an art dealer. I always thought that the role of the art dealer was to bridge the gap between what the artists were working on and the general public, and I do think you do that. So. It's funny for me to hear you say you're not an art dealer, but you can you can have that. I just, maybe art dealers aren't what they were at one point. Um, thank you for taking the time and your busy schedule to talk us through the show. Is there anything you wanna say before you leave and get ready for the evening?
1: Well, I mean, again, I have, art just can't exist in a, I mean, one of the biggest NFT platforms is called OpenSea. And when you have an OpenSea, things get lost. So I like decentralized in as much as you're changing the control relationships of who gets to be the gatekeeper. Sure, it's always good to have some quality control that goes without saying. But again, like I think if someone has something to say and they want to say it, they should say it and they should not be subjugated or, you know, by anyone else's taste or you know power. So what I like is that anyone who wants to make art and get it in front of a public, the tools are there and they're expanding by the second. So whether it's social media, gives you a way to have an idea and, and put it out there across uh, geographical boundaries, or NFTs which give you a marketplace within which to sell your art. So by walking people through this process and hand-holding them through my teaching, my lectures, my writing, and just mentoring people, I've helped literally hundreds of people to be able to get their art in front of an audience and then even more importantly to sell it. So, they're so I'm not an art dealer in the sense that I don't represent artists or don't sell their work directly, but what I like to do is give them the tools within which to take matters into their own hands and do it themselves, without intermediaries. Sure, I curated this show, and it's close to 100 artists, I'm... So, it's an extension of my practice that I'm responsible for the choice of artists, but there are some artists the gallery put in, some artists, friends of the gallery have put in, and it's a beginning of relationships and opportunities for people. So... Although I'm one person who's responsible for this is probably the biggest NFT show to date with nearly 100 artists. But at the same time, what's important to me is that I will inspire other people to do what I'm doing. And that really is the key to like, I want to facilitate opportunities for people across the world. And I'm not trying to be self grandiose or any more preposterously pretentious than I probably already am now. But I just humbly feel like... People have to be kicked and pushed to just not be scared. I mean, the, the name of the show is NFTism, which for me is about community, not just the technology. And it's no fear in trying. And I think by hum- we're, we're by nature scared of new things, unfamiliar things and uncomfortable things. And my point is that you just have to do it, as the dumb Nike <laughs> commercial says. But I just want to make it easier to... to for people to have the confidence uh, to just take things into their own hands and just do it without relying on other people because if you're gonna wait for opportunities to come your way, you're gonna be dead before you have the, you know, a chance. And I'm self-taught and I do hard work and tenacity and passion. I've been able to accomplish things that I'm, that I'm really excited about, from being in the Basel Art Fair, to teach, having a professorship, and being on the board at the University of Zurich, and teaching at School of Visual Arts, to writing for MIT Press. But none of that means anything if I'm not saying anything relevant to people's lives, and you can't force people to look, and you can't force people to listen, but if you have something to say, uh, and you believe in what you're saying, and do it in good faith, with integrity, then you're a dangerous entity. (laughs) So really art has given meaning to my life and NFTs are a tool for me to continue to espouse that and to empower people.
0: Thank you, Kenny. Uh, Idealistically cynical as always, but also uh, using the future to connect us to the past, a past that was about conversations and collectives and artists sharing ideas. In the show, we have Jake Chapman, Kaio Twombly, uh, Jeremy Olson. We have Olive Allen. I'm kind of not doing well with this list, but there's a lot, thank you. A lot of great artists here and-
1: Constance Tenfik.
0: Constance Tenfik.
1: You have the Crypto Wieners. Crypto Wieners are a collective from Vienna and they use kind of childlike imagery to engage with a lot of relevant issues in their lives and ours, social, political, etc. So I,
0: yeah. And I think the connection with the future and the past is that people are talking without a middleman. And if you listen to anything about the abstract expressionists, after the war in New York, Jackson Pollock's big sale was $1,000. So there was a lot of conversation and a lot of integrity and sharing ideas and doing good work and decentralizing uh, the control of the way information flows any last word Kenny or are we good to go? Any last words? No. Is this a wrap? He needs to take a nap. He needs to a, a, nap. He needs a nap. beauty nap for the evening If you're around, please come and see the show. It's at 40 Earlham Street uh, You won't regret it. Um, I'm sitting in front of a piece called failure is success And if you don't take that away with you uh, as some sort of cynically optimistic mantra I don't know what what to say. Uh, thank you for... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to A Private View with me, Maeve Doyle. I have over 30 years experience in several different countries in the art world and I'm still learning the changing landscape and lexicon and look of what is and isn't the art world and what artists do and don't want to express. So I hope you enjoy taking this journey with me and listening to artists talk in their own voice on A Private View, the podcast. If you enjoy listening, please subscribe to the podcast. And on a separate note, the music for A Private View was made specially by Koresh Adhami. He has a show on Soho Radio too, so look him up and thank you for listening.